Hello, it's Andrew here. Just to let you know that this there are two parts to this talk. There's pleasures of worship part one and then part two. Part one was me having a chat and part two was Sarah listened to my chat and said, hey, that needs some editing and some adding. So, committed to you. All right, well, good afternoon. Full confessions. I am on my own today. Because uh, I actually just wanted to give Claire and Sarah a week off. So I'm going to dive into this and hopefully make it interesting. But yeah, it's not the same sprightly conversation that would normally be there. But the topic we have today is a really interesting one, I think. Um, as you know, we're doing this series on worship. And we've been working through the four P's. And we started with the purpose. And then we looked at the pain of worship. And then this week, we're looking at the pleasures of worship. And then next week, the possibilities of worship. Yeah, I think this is a really important topic for us. And I thought I'd start doing a little bit of a, an imaginary word association game. Okay, so you imagine someone's walking down the street and they're kind of doing a word association survey and they're working, walking up to passersby and going, the word pleasure do you associate that more with sin or with worship? What do you think would be the main result of that particular survey? Yes, I agree. I think most people are going to associate sin and pleasure together more than they're going to associate pleasure and worship. And that's probably for, for good reason. Uh, certainly in the advertising world, that association, if I, I think through, I think I was thinking about some sort of Magnum ice cream campaign. I think there was a couple of years ago, sort of associating the seven deadly sins with um, seven different ice cream flavors or something. And, you know, from time to time, people do that. Um, and I, I was even reading an article or on the BBC News Scroll or something yesterday and and they had, maybe it was new. Anyway, it was a new scroll of some sort. And one of the articles that scrolled past was, uh, had the title, I think it was, Everything in Here is Taboo. And the person in the photograph associated with this article was wearing some sort of outlandish costume and smiling broadly. And again, the implication was there's sin here and there's pleasure here. And sin and pleasure are just best of friends. They're wound together. Um, sin is all about pleasure and pleasure is all about sin. Um, but actually the Bible teaches something quite different. And when the Bible talks about pleasure, it actually associates pleasure with worship. Um, so there's this great Psalm that we're going to look at today. That's going to explore this. Um, and I'm going to start by reading that Psalm. And that psalm is Psalm 36, and it's from the New Revised Standard Version that I'm reading. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. There is no fear of God before their eyes. For they flatter themselves in their own eyes that their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of their mouths are mischief and deceit. They have ceased to act wisely and do good. They plot mischief while on their beds. 
They are set on a way that is not good. They do not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I will continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your salvation to the upright of heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant tread on me, or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie prostrate. They are thrust down, unable to rise. So, yeah, so when I was thinking about this topic of the pleasures of worship, I went to the Psalms to really explore it. And sort of picked up this really interesting theme because my question was really, well, okay, so how do we experience this, this pleasure of worship? Uh, of which the, the scriptures speak. And the, there's this consistent theme uh, through the Psalms that we're going to uncover that actually tells us how to do that. We'll get to that soon, so hang in there. Um, but yeah, I wanted to start by looking, uh, hopefully you've got the Psalm there in front of you, if you can find it and grab it. Um, why don't you start by looking at the top of the Psalm and this is really interesting. So if we think about the, what our culture tells us is that sin is pleasure. Like that's where the pleasure is. It's in the sin. Um, and in the traditional conceptions of, oh, and and Christians or those goody two-shoes have been told they can't sin. So they aren't having as much fun. There's not as much pleasure for them. Like that's all implied, right? That's part of the narrative. And it's like poo-poo to you and <laughs> hooray for the sinners. Um, that's part of their cultural narrative. And yet the Bible, again, says quite the opposite. Um, and we can see it saying quite the opposite here. Um, because as I, as I said, we, there, are those, there are those images that culture presents to us. Like if you think about that image of that person that I described to you standing at that, at that door frame, everything here in here is taboo with a big smile on their face. That's a very superficial portrayal of sin, and it's a very superficial portrayal of pleasure. Um, and the scriptures go right against that. They go right behind the face paint and the plastic smile, and they speak directly into actually the reality of sin. And as the psalm says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in their hearts. So the psalmist goes straight to this is a hard issue. He says that they're fundamentally at the heart of the sinner is there is no fear of God before their eyes. So no reverence. There's no beholding of God as we've talked about worship being a focus thing. There's, there is no reverence there. And if God isn't before their eyes, then what is? Then we see in verse 2, for they flatter themselves in their own eyes. So their own image rather than God, is what they're beholding. 
and they're flattering themselves in their own eyes. So there's, and it reminds me of, you know, sitting on the train and people just grabbing their selfie cameras and just checking their makeup. Like, like it's just this, this deep, this, this peering into our own eyes that we do now, which is just so strange and so twisted. And they do this, they dive into their own eyes that their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. That there's something about flattering themselves, this, this thing that they say to themselves, which convinces themselves and deceives themselves into persuading themselves that no, 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 what I'm doing is okay. And the words of their mouths are mischief and deceit. They have ceased to act wisely and do good. Because, they're, because they've lost sight of the image of God, who he is, there's no fear of God. The scriptures say that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Because that's gone, they don't have any wisdom anymore. And because they have no wisdom, they don't act and do good. Quite the contrary, they plot mischief while on their beds. So their, their night shifts... <laughs> Their daydreamings are actually plotting evil against others. They are set in a way that is not good. They do not. Re- and you can see in this, you can see that this 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 transgression, this person is just kind of twisted out of shape. Their focus is all wrong, and and the crookedness is run right through. The crookedness is run right through their words out of their heart into their words and then their actions and they've lost all resolve to to act in a way that is good that's actually the truth of what sin does in our hearts the bible just unveils that it might look like it's got this superficial you know the makeups on and the and the false smiles on and life's good on the instagram feed but actually the bible just upends it and it said if there is no fear of god in your heart This only goes one way. That is the trajectory of it. It's to no good. But then the psalmist makes the shift, shift in focus. So he's looked at this and gone, ah, there's that way of living. But then he shifts away from that. He doesn't remain in judgment there. He shifts to behold the Lord. And the contrast could not be clearer, could it? You got this introspective, this, this just subterranean, dark, dank introspection and then david shifts to the lord and he says that the lord the lord's love extends to the heavens is this is this astronomic magnificent vision of god's faithfulness to the clouds righteousness like the mighty mountains and judgments like the great deep so this wonderful panoramic vista of god and it's just like an incredible breath breath of fresh air. Like it literally is like stepping into this like viewing platform that has this 360 panorama. It's like oh, the relief to behold God in contrast to just the, the narrowness and horror of the human obsession with self and sin. And David says, how precious is your love, O God, your steadfast love. And then he answers, and this I think is the key in the Psalms to our question of, so how do we enter into the pleasures of worship? He says that all people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. 
saying that the pleasure of worship is discovered when we realize that we don't have to go the way. Yeah, and he just, and you can, you, I mean, you know, we just remember like this psalm, right? It's, it, this is this is part of corporate worship. So it's being sung by the people of Israel, right? And and so David's just, I want you to get this. I want, I want you to understand this, see the contrast. And uh, so he's, so he's contrasting the the, the, the wicked with that, that, that life of the wicked. And then he says, if you shift and you, you behold the Lord, and then when you take refuge in the Lord, then when you take refuge, you will enter into the pleasure of worship. And that's the key. Because he says, you know, all people may take refuge. So he says the invitation's there. Anyone can do this. Anyone can take refuge in the shadow of God. And this is, and then he describes what happens when you do that, when you actually take refuge in the Lord. So what does that mean to take refuge? Well, it means to trust God, right, for our safety, our provision, to really like, you know, in, elsewhere in the Psalms, he talks about you alone. You're, you're the only good thing, God. It's that kind of thing. You're all I have. You're all I need. I mean, we sing some of those things and it's like that. And he's like, that what that taking refuge when you do that when you put all your chips in all your eggs in God's basket when you do that this is what the experience is like and he says they feast on the abundance of your house and you can compare that with what those way David's described the life of the wicked their mouths are full of deceit you know mischief and deceit like that's the food that the wicked are eating on and then David contrasts that with no you come into when you take refuge in God you come into God's house and it's abundant feast. There's good food, good wine. And, and he says, and God gives them drink from the rivers of God's delight. You give them drink from the river of your delights. So it is good wine. So it's this rather than your mouth being full of mischief and deceit and your mind full of just plots and anxiety and mischief and evil. David's describing this completely different experience of being welcomed into the Father's house, and of being given just food and abundance and drink that comes from right from living water that Jesus has described. All these, all these images are all wrapped up here. It's about experiencing that, that river of living water, the Holy Spirit, the full abundance of God. And he says, he goes on, for with you, God, is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. And again, you can see that contrast of these, these deeds, the wicked done at night and the, the deception and the, the mirror upon mirror and the, just the, 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 the wickedness and just the loss of darkness of heart. And yet these people who are finding refuge in God, they're, they're at a fountain. And in their light, they're seeing light. It's like entering into God and meeting with God. It's like, God reveals and then reveals and then reveals more and more and more. And Jesus talks about this when he says, you know, you know, whoever has much more will be given and even those that don't have much, that will be taken from them. There's this smallness and then there's this largeness in the kingdom that as you, as you have, you, you just, what you have got and you, you, you respond to what God gives you and then you go and, and more comes and more comes and in, in his light we see light. So it's, this, it's such incredible contrast to the darkness and the confusion of lying and, and deceit 
and just the purity and the goodness and the wholeness and the abundance and the richness of the presence of God. And that, that experience, uh, that is that we find that when we make God our refuge. And there's another psalm that I was that I was looking at, uh, Psalm 16, and it talks about that experience of when we make God our refuge, and it also it, it talks about our mouths being full, but it also talks about our bodies feeling safe. So it's this whole experience of body, mind, soul, spirit, just feeling safe finally, cared for, protected provided for by God. It's that experience that we enter. It's that and the, the intense pleasure of being loved and protected for and protected and fought for by the Lord of the universe. That is what we experience when we enter into worship. That is the pleasure of worship of which the psalmist speak. That when we make God our, our singular refuge, we enter into pleasures that are like nothing else. Um, and again, in Psalm 16, the, the, the way that the pleasure that David describes, he, you know, we talk a little bit in our culture about the fleet, fleeting pleasures. Um, but the pleasure that David describes of finding God as our refuge is, he describes it as eternal pleasure. And he speaks of that confidence that he has that, that I, he, and it's, it's amazing, it's amazing, I just spent it to you, but to have a read, but he speaks of a hope of even being resurrected. He knows that this thing that he's touched, that this, this relationship with God, he knows that it transcends even the grave. And so when he's making God his present refuge, he's also making God his future and eternal refuge. And so his whole being is resting not only in the deliverance that he knows will come uh, in this moment, but also the eternal deliverance that God is guaranteed him. And so his whole being, irrespective of circumstance, he knows that he knows that he knows it's going to be okay. And he's, that rest and that joy that my, my future is held. Uh, it's what Jesus is talking about, isn't it? In terms of store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that where things don't rust and moths can't get. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's when we've thrown all our hope in God, we realize that our hope is held by very, very secure and very loving hands that we can finally rest and we can finally rejoice and finally know that know that we know, irrespective of circumstance, that we are actually safe. And this is the pleasure of worship of which the psalmists speak. And so much so that, and I know we're doing a little bit of a tour of the psalms, but so much so, um, so much so that we know with David, he says in Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of God, meditating. I think it's meditating on his perfections and his love all the days of my life, 
He's like, oh, this thing, this thing, this experience is so good. Where else can I go where I, where I can know where my body, my hands, my head, my heart, my lips all resonate joyfully in the peace and protection and presence of God? Where else can I go? And he knows that he, knows that he finds that place in worship. And so he's like, I'm going to spend... You know, that's the house of God in that in that image, right? I'm spending all my days there. There's no other place that I want to go. No other place bring, brings me that pleasure. There's some thoughts for today. Um, there's a lot more that we could say, but I guess that that's the key idea that I that I found. Just to, as I said, sort of looking through the Psalms again on this theme, that really we ex- we experience the pleasure of worship when we take refuge completely 100% in God. So I want to encourage you. I know that sin, the way it's projected in our culture, is very, very shiny. And that the package deal with sin is that the pleasure is there and it's immediate. And I know there are lots of things on offer, particularly online, etc., that, that, that promise that quick hit. But it has been the experience of God's people through the ages, and it still remains that experience, the actual true pleasure, that pleasure where you are doing what you are always made to do, that pleasure where you can finally be free from your anxiety um, and know that you know that you know that you're safe and celebrated, that that pleasure is found in the, only in the presence of God. So I think there's an invitation for us, isn't there? To go in this week, to take refuge wholly in God and to feast in the abundance of his house and to let God give us the drink from his river of delights. And for us to join with all of God's people to say, you, for you, with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. All right, so welcome to Pledges Part 2. Uh, so Sarah, in her infinite wisdom, listened to the first half of this talk and thought, that's great, but that's really impractical. You have to, you know, unpack a little bit more. So, Well, I guess I, I just thought that it was very sort of inspirational and very mm-hmm. high level and very like, yes, mm-hmm. we want to trust God and we want to experience those, those pleasures of worship, but how do you actually do it is, is the question. <laughs> what now? I want to make God my refuge and I want to experience all the joy and, and pleasure that God wants to pour out as I worship him. But how do I do that practically? Yeah, well, at this point I look to you and you answer your own question. Is that the idea? No, it's not at all. <laughs> no, it should be. <laughs> how do I actually do it? Well, that's, we're, at that point we're kind of hitting the nub of this whole thing, aren't we? in terms of this thing called following Jesus, that fundamentally this is about trusting God and it's about trusting in an unseen God for very real tangible things, like very material things, right? So it's, I guess that's that's what we're getting at, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The nub of how do you actually work that out into your life? Um, not earning God's favour or something like that or but actually just trusting, trusting his presence and his power and his work in your life and in the circumstances. 
that surround you. Um, yeah. Well, I, I would say that I think, you know, we all have said the big yes to Jesus, that yes, we want to trust in you. But then how do you work that big yes out into all the little the little decisions of your days and weeks and months and years? Because I think that is where that's where we actually learn to make God our refuge. Like, yes, you, you, you need to say the big level, yes, God, I want you to be my refuge more than anything else. I want your salvation. I want to be with you, God. But then there's a whole lot of little yeses that we need to say to God, which is also going to involve a lot of no's to other things. Mm. Well, I think if we come back to this psalm, just to look at what David is doing in terms of how does he foster, I guess, that trust in his heart. We can see that repeat pattern of he's coming and he's beholding God. And it's a, what's interesting, I think, about this is it's kind of a multidimensional beholding of God. So he's looking at God's unfailing love, his faithfulness, but he's also looking at God's righteousness and his justice. So he's looking at the whole picture of God. The whole character Mm. of God. It's not one dimensionally, and he's actually. Yeah, can, there's that sense of him really exploring God and digging into God, like a deepening discovery of God's character. So I think that's a question to ask, isn't it? Have what's my understanding of God? What like have I stuck at a sort of I don't know kindergarten level or like a very one dimensional understanding of God, or or am I actually at that point of wow, God, you are you are fascinating. You are a terrain that I have barely explored. And uh, I don't, you know, those things that perhaps the holiness of God or the justice of God, those things that perhaps we don't feel we understand. Am I pushing into those things? Am I exploring? And do I see those things as well? They're, they're elements and parts of God that are just beautiful and mysterious. And, and so my, I guess, my understanding of God's ways and character is actually stretching and expanding and Mm. yeah well last sunday when we talked about lament and where we had a go at writing our own laments um you know if you remember those steps were turn to god pour out your your heart pour out your complaint and your troubles but then it goes on from there to the third step of declaring the truth about god to yourself reminding yourself of who God is. And as you're saying, that's not just all the ways that I think, you know, my imagination of God as just being a bigger, powerful, more powerful version of myself, but it's actually knowing the God who reveals himself as I am who I am. Yeah. And our, our role is to get to know that God, to explore that God, to let him reveal all that he is to us. Mm. Yeah, and then I can see in the psalm the next thing that David talks about is you feed them from the abundance of your own house. So I guess my my sense there is that he's describing a people that come to God hungry, mm. but they're not. Come so with their needs. They come with their needs to God. So they haven't gone. I mean, yeah, and we know this, right? Our hearts can get our needs mm. or attempt to get their needs met from varying different places, but these these people who are God trusting people have actually said, no, I'm not going to 
just sate my needs on whatever my particular vice is. I'm going to stay hungry and I'm going to take that hunger into the house of God and actually be vulnerable and go, God, I need you to meet this. So there's a there's a saying no there yep, to no. getting your needs met by other things or yep. making other things your refuge and a saying yes to bringing that need to God and allowing him to be your refuge. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And then I think in terms of practical yeah things i think yeah i can i can't really i personally i can't really go past the the idea of just simply surrendering at the start of the day every element of your day to god and just releasing that to him and that that to me is that daily practice of making god my refuge it's like whatever i release the outcomes of this day yeah tell tell us the story about when you first started to do that Oh, in Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was part of, I think, I feel like I've, I've shared this story before, but I, I, I don't know. But yeah, that was, that was part of that, that year in Hong Kong, just learning that. And God really challenged me to do that each day. And it completely transformed my life, hmm. just surrendering every single element. And, that, and during that, that time in my life, it was very practical things. It was like delivery trucks. And anxiety about whether the delivery truck would arrive at the right time or I'd make the ferry or whatever it was. And I just lay those things before God and then welcome welcome all the elements of the day and just say, well, God, this is your day. And I trust them to you. And, and if you decide that that delivery truck is not going to arrive on time, then that's fine. I release that to you. And it was it was just, just it released me to walk in a peace that I'd never had before. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that's a bit of a practice to do at the start and at the end of a day and maybe in the middle of the day too if you need to, um, of actually just thinking through all the things that are coming and just releasing them to God, surrendering mm. them to him, choosing to make him your your refuge, your backup in mm. all of those things. Yeah, and out of that, David says, pleasure comes. Mm. But I think it really is in the in the doing this in the specifics of life. So not just a general, God, I just trust you with everything. Yeah, but actually, cause... if you want to change and to learn how to trust God, it has to be about specific things. Yeah. Putting particular situations, particular needs, particular people that you're concerned about into God's hands. Yeah, it's got to be broken down and made, made practical. Hmm. Come on, that's that's good, right? <laughs> yep, that's getting practical. Okay, have I, so we tick that box now. We've made it. Oh, I think so. Practical. People can let us know on Sunday if yeah. we've ticked that box or not. <laughs> Till um, then, yeah. Are we? Till I, then, I, I prayed last Start time. Start trusting then God. We pray again, or I don't know what we. How, how do we finish it? Maybe you can just chop your prayer on. Yeah, maybe I can. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that this is true. God, I pray that in the midst of this now not yet place, God, this, this world of pain and, and all these different things drawing our hearts, God, that something of the, of the picture that your word gives us of the pleasure of being with you would capture our hearts in a fresh way, God. That you would woo our hearts into worship, God. 
God, there's no other place like your presence. I pray you would help us experience that in a fresh way this week, God. As we choose again to take our refuge in you, as we choose to step away from the path of the wicked. God, we choose to trust you in a fresh way, God, that we'd experience that. And God, then we'd just be able to invite others, God, to this abundant table that you've laid before us, God. I pray that we would be able to do that with joy, uh, mirroring that pleasure that we've experienced as we have been those people, God, that people go, those people have been with Jesus.